Coming up on Across the Chains, my guest is Anarchoic, creator of the first GPU NFTs on Bitcoin and inventor of the social network. That's true. We're going to talk about that. Plus, PayPal launches a stablecoin. Is this just a CBDC wearing tethered lipstick? And DeFi hacks have resulted in nearly $400 million in losses. Will it always be this way or will things get better? All this and more coming up on Across the Chains. They take your money, then they take you down with them. Let's do better together. ERN. Extremely resilient, naturally. Hello, guys. It's me, Corval, here. Today's show would not be possible without our sponsor, Shimmer Network. Just as a reminder, Shimmer is a DAG-based, feeless, layer one network that's both fast and highly scalable. You can learn more about them at shimmer.network. Morning, good morning, everyone. Hello, Corvallis. Thank you for coming Hello. on the show. Very much appreciated. Pleasure and, to be here. And welcome, Anarchoic. How are you this morning? Excellent. So let's uh, dive right in here. So Anarchoic is our guest, uh, but Anarchoic and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, and as I said in the opening, and this is probably a lot of people are probably going, wait, what? He's the inventor of the social network? No way. He doesn't look like Zuck, right? Yeah. So. I want to let, let's talk about that just for a second, because and this is true. Like uh, and when I say when I say he's the inventor of the social network back in 2000, 2001, um, I, I was watching this space very carefully. Most people don't know this, but I did a social network also in 2002 called Zero Degrees. It was a business social network, so a competitor to LinkedIn. And uh, we sold it, me and my partners in 2004 to Barry Diller, an interactive corporation. So that was a, it was a good exit. It wasn't a giant exit, but it was a good exit for me. And we did sell a social network in the, in the heyday. We sold it in February of 2004, which is the same month that Facebook was founded, just to sort of put things into perspective. Uh, MySpace was hugely popular at the time, but I know what I copied because uh, in order to create my social network, I looked at the previous art that was out there and, um, and Rise was, was definitely the thing I looked at and went, Whoever's doing this or whatever this is, this is the way to do it. And Anarchoic was the guy behind Rise. So he was the first person to figure out that a, a profile should have a picture in the upper left-hand corner. There should be a friends list. Um, there should be all these elements to it. And, uh, and that was the first time that format existed. And it might seem super obvious now that that's how you do it, but it was not at the time. There were previous attempts at doing that sort of thing, and they looked totally different, right? There was a thing called Six Degrees. So... Um, so Anarchoic, tell us a little bit about how you came up with that and uh, what you what you remember from those days. Yeah, uh, I was really into networking and I knew the power of social networking and meeting people and, and so on. And I used to go to a pile of events and what would happen is sometimes you would go to an event and you'd see somebody three months later and you couldn't remember and you ended up having the same conversation over again. <laughs> You're like, um, so where did you go to school again? And, and what are you working on? And oh, wait, I asked you that already. Or you recognize their face, you couldn't remember their name and so on. I was like, gee, there ought to be a way to scale this somehow and, and be able to 
build deeper relationships by not asking the first 10 questions all over again. And I was doing a monthly mixer in my loft in San Francisco. And, and so I started putting this together um, after I was, I was doing P2P before that. And, and then started building this prototype. And then we started doing mixers around the website. And then it, it started expanding from there. And, and people were on it just all the time. It was, it was fantastic. And what, what time frame was this? Do you remember the, this was 2001. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. So So, yeah, I think I had the first, I invited a few friends, uh, June, July, 2001. And then we started more opening it, opening it up October. Now, did you look at six degrees? Did you, were you aware of six degrees when you did? I was aware of six degrees. Yeah. And I, I didn't join it because I was getting these emails and the thing, one of the biggest problems they had was that the invitation emails came from them rather than your friends. Ah, yep. Yeah, right? that was a big deal. Yep. I remember having so it was like, yeah. It, it was like cringy because it was like, you know, it was, it was a social faux pas at, at scale. <laughs> right. But also the user interface was like kind of janky on that, right? It, it wasn't this, it wasn't near what yours was. I don't remember what yeah. it was, but I remember yeah, like, and it there was, was not good. I don't think there were photos back then. I can't remember, but it was. Yeah, it was really rough. <laughs> yeah, the no photo. I mean, here's a weird thing. I was talking to uh, Corvallis about this before the show. So at zero degrees with my partners, I saw what you did with Rise. And I was like, we, we're copy that. That's what we're copying. And um, and my partners saw the photo and they were like, no, photo. This is a business social network. There should be no photos because you only use photos in a dating site, right? So their 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 point of view was that the photo cheapened the businessness of it, of the, of the thing. Right. And I was like, no, you want to see what the person looks like. So we just like what you said, when you meet them in real life, when you meet, you know, you, you want to connect that online persona with the real life persona. The best way to do that is with a face, right? It's not, it's not because you want to date them. It's because you want to remember who they are. Right. Yeah. And that's practical also. So, and we're, we are so wired to be visual that, that our memory works that way. Well, you have to understand like this was a screaming match with my partners that went on it for weeks. And they were adamantly opposed to it. It was it, like, it was almost violence. It was that level of, of wow. argument, right? And, and so uh, I, I won in the end, but I almost, I, I very nearly didn't win. And later on, I had, they came to be like, you know, years later, like, oh my God, you must've thought we were insane. <laughs> Mark Jeffrey in the boardroom, throwing papers around, pens. Yeah, I, <laughs> We got to see the faces, man. It was so insane. So, um, and, and actually the other thing I was talking to uh, Corvallis about was it's, it's hard to remember that the, the vibe in those days that I'm talking about, like the post.com crash, because um, we were riding high for maybe four years or so with the dot com. Mm-hmm. Nobody believed that the internet was a thing. And then it was suddenly everywhere and everyone was making millions and then it was nothing. And then it crashed. And then it felt like it was a pipe dream and it never had existed in the first place. And everyone was depressed. And this lasted for like four years. And, yeah. you know, and it, it felt very much like the crypto cycles, right? Where it was up, up really high and then down. But I would say that the dot-com crash was complete and absolute and utter. And it felt like the end of the world. And it felt like it would never come back. And the VCs were saying it would never come back. And in this milieu and, and all the conferences stopped. So we stopped talking to each other. And we all just sort of hid in our houses for like a year. Mm-hmm. And Rise, your invention was the was the way we all reconnected, at least for me. So when the yeah. green grass started sprouting again, mm-hmm. it was Rise that was sprouting. And that was you were the soup through which all of a sudden I started going out and meeting people again and talking to people again. So 
Yeah. And, and it was so wild back then because, you know, it was like a pile of my friends started the competition, right? Like you. <laughs> and like we were kind of friend of friends. Um, and, and a pile of other friends started, you know, Tribe and Friendster and, and whatnot. Um, so it was kind of wild. And then um, the other thing that was funny is that for years, people, if you look at the articles from back then, people were writing, you know, oh, this, this social networking is never going to take off. It's never going to produce any revenues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I remember it was a big. I mean, nobody knew how these things made money, yeah. and I remember that was a big deal with zero degrees as well. People were like, "We we seriously had no idea how whether it was a business, right?" And so when Barry Diller acquired us, he was basically like, "Figure out." He said, "All my all my business units are number one or number two in their category, so figure out what your category is and become number one or number two within a year." That was the that was what we were told to do. So and we 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 ultimately chose to become a jobs board, uh, which was the right answer. Um, and, and the whole other thing that happened, Diller didn't believe Diller was like, well, monster.com spends a hundred million a year on advertising. Therefore I would have to, therefore no. And, and I was like, no, that's not, no, it's look at the graph. Like, yeah. uh, the, the whole, the whole sort of, um, friends bring in other friends, viral growth was not mm -hmm. a thing yet. It was not believed to be real. You know, that wasn't how you did real business back then. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's move on to, to now. So you, uh, like many of us, have become very interested in the crypto universe and, and specifically lately ordinals and NFTs and that whole thing. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up your site here. So this is GPU ordinals. So tell us what this is. And, and remember that a lot, a lot of these people come out of the Ethereum space, so they don't necessarily know the ordinal space. So mm -hmm. tell us what, what we're looking at and, and why this is significant. Yeah, so I've been in um, Bitcoin going back to 2013 and building, and and this year actually has been like an explosion of of building for me. <laughs> so I've like done a new project every month practically, and uh, saw ordinals uh, taking off on Bitcoin in January and started getting set up and and managed to inscribe my first ordinals uh, back in the beginning of February. So what are ordinals and and what what does that have to do with NFTs? Um, so, you know, everybody likes to create their own marketing terms, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's kind of like an NFT that is on chain on Bitcoin. Um, they like to call them digital artifacts uh, and, because and, it is on chain. Yes. That's a big difference. The media is on chain. Yeah, right. Exactly. So if, if it's, music, so it's not a link on, to an, yeah, an IPFS or anything. Yeah. yeah. So you can't change the art, you know, you can't do a new <laughs> refresh of the art. <laughs> yeah, if I don't pay my AWS bill, my NFT won't go away, right? Because it's not in exactly. AWS, it's on the Bitcoin chain. And and if the creator gets mad about uh, and royalty situations, <laughs> well, there aren't any royalties to begin with on, on ordinals. Um, so anyway, you know, they can't go and, and take the art away from you. These are like uh, kind of like smart coins, UTXOs. Each each of these things is is like its own coin. It's not something in an account. Like in Ethereum, we're used to the account model, um, but in Bitcoin, things are UTXOs. They're they're basically coins with stuff in them, data in them. Um, so it's it's a very different model. And then it's also you know it's there's a copy of this media on thousands of computers on on all the Bitcoin full nodes. And, and one of the interesting aspects of ordinals is it's actually made a lot more people run full Bitcoin nodes because they want to inscribe in the easiest, you know, you get the most control if you, if you run a full Bitcoin node and a full ordinal process yourself. Um, so it's, it's really brought a, a lot of people uh, from Ethereum back to Bitcoin. 
who, who were on Bitcoin before. It's brought a lot of excitement. There's uh, huge amounts of creativity happening um, and, and people like, like myself trying to stretch, you know, what, what can you do with uh, a technology that in some ways is limited, but, but definitely is not just payments. <laughs> right. Know? Well, I mean, I don't think we, we didn't know that we could do all this stuff on Bitcoin until kind of recently. Right. So, mm -hmm. so basically back in, I think it was December of last year, um, somebody realized, you know, ordinal theory popped up and it was sitting there this whole time, but just nobody yeah. realized it. And it, what, what it basically said was that each Satoshi, you know, each bit penny, if you will, each hundred million uh, Satoshis that are in a Bitcoin are unique. And it's almost like they all have a serial number. And you can, and then there was an upgrade to the Bitcoin network, um, which allowed for a lot more data to be um, placed on chain. And they basically put that in there to support uh, the Lightning network. And so there was an upgrade to, to the ability to write data on the Bitcoin blockchain. And so combining those two things, all of a sudden, you know, effectively NFTs were possible and BRC20s became possible, right? Yes. So all of a sudden, Ethereum ish things started happening on Bitcoin. Um, and in fact, and, and the other thing that the other important thing to realize is that the bulk of the wealth in crypto is in Bitcoin. That's where most of the money is, like six yeah. tenths of all the money in crypto is there. And you couldn't really do, remember, you couldn't really do anything with Bitcoin, right? It was a dead rock coin. It sat in your ledger in a sock drawer, right? Pretty much. Um, whereas Ethereum, you were, you know, it was active. You were, you were on MetaMask, you were trading, you were on DEXs, you were doing NFTs. It was a very sort of active thing, which was very different from the dead rock, you know, throw it in your sock drawer for 10 years, Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, Bitcoin felt like Ethereum. It was, it was active. You were doing things. And I remember when I started first playing around with it, it was just like, oh, this is weird. It feels like I'm on Ethereum now. And that was a very sort of strange experience, but I'm on Bitcoin. So if the wealth on Bitcoin gets excited about this stuff, the potential is much larger than on Ethereum, you know, just in, in terms of volume, in terms of dollar volume, right? So, um, and then plus the permanence of it, right? Because it's on the God chain, it's backed by proof of work, not proof of stake. Um, you know, it, it's a lot less malleable. It's a lot more, um, you know, burned in stone forever kind of vibe, right? So it feels, it feels more solid, weirdly. Yeah, and, and Bitcoin has been around for longer, right? So it's got that that history to it as well. So you've got just one thing after another that that are really positive uh, towards Bitcoin. Um, with with the SegWit uh, discount, we can inscribe these things for for a much cheaper rate than than there used to be a few years ago. Because you could you could put this stuff on the chain before, but now it's it's more reasonable. Um, so yeah, there's there's a huge amount of excitement, um, and, and there's kind of two levels uh, to it. Like you mentioned, the first is kind of this this numbering system to to follow Sats from from being mined, and then uh, you know these the transactions that that result and are the children of those mined blocks. And so there's kind of this numbering system, and then the other thing is adding on top of that this media storage and and connecting those two together to follow these nft like on-chain creatures <laughs> as yeah. they go through transactions yeah so let's go back to let's go have let's have a look back at this so this is yeah. obviously like a 3d kind of vermal <laughs> like it reminds me of vrml is what i'm saying right yeah. so i'm rotating this around i i'm in the i'm in the the expanded player here and what, yeah. what are some of the other, you had some of the other, what are the other keys here where I can get? Uh, yeah, you can start some animations with C and V. 
Uh, oh, oh, yay. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Ah, so, B. D spins okay, around the head. Okay, yeah. You can uh, do a lot of the standard game keys, WASD or the or the arrows, uh, Q and E as well. And so you're kind of in an orbit mode here around this little guy. Oh, so okay, it's kind yeah. of a TFP. And then um, you, you can kind of see a Bitcoin sun there. And if we had audio on, we could go over to that and hear a different kind of sound. So part of the idea here was actually to bring people into kind of a dream world. So you, when you hear the sound, there's like an industrial sound around the guy. When you go out, there's, there's a peaceful sounds of nature. Um, and then there's a rain, there's rain going through and the rain is actually connected to new blocks being mined on Bitcoin. So every time a new block is mined, the color of the rain changes. Wow. So, uh, so, so let's just back up here. So this is, yep. so the, the file, so you, you, so the engine, what, what is producing the 3d engine here? Like where, okay, where yeah. does that come from? And is that so engine on Bitcoin also? There's a huge amount going on here, and it took me yeah. a long time. Yeah, I figured that's why I wanted to. A lot of dead ends. So, um, so yeah, you you mentioned Vermal. So actually, I was I was doing virtual reality model, modeling language work back in the late '90s, um, and I I built something, for example, called Instant Vermal Homeworld, and that would let you create your own get your own VRML URL with a phrase. So you type in a phrase, and then you get a free URL. And so I, we had tens of thousands of people creating their own thermal files with that, essentially. So this is kind of connected to that stuff I was doing decades ago a little bit. Um, now, in terms of the tech here, we this is on top of uh, 3.js, which is a, a, a very um, uh, popular standard for 3D. And then this is also using a very, very new technology called WebGPU. And WebGPU is really wild. and. And I knew I knew this was was the first uh, connection uh, collection on Bitcoin using WebGPU. And then I've searched around <laughs> the other day. I said, "Well, are there any on Ethereum?" And I, I couldn't find any on any of the other chains. So I think this is the first WebGPU collection across all the chains. And the the cool thing about WebGPU is you are accessing in a much more direct way the GPU in your local computer. So you have so much more power for rendering 3D. And, and not just 3D graphics, but you can actually use this for computation as well. So this oh. is there's a, a JavaScript layer that you can you can use HTML and JavaScript in ordinals, and, and so that's become um, a, a, a factor or a dimension in, it, that's supporting a lot of innovation, like like what we've done here with GPU ordinals, and so. Uh, we are kind of connecting in very directly to the GPU to do this graphics rendering. And, and so one of the things you know, we said to the community, um, you know, what if we put an AI onto Bitcoin? What really? if we put a high performance hmm. metaverse as well? And, and so, so this is not just about graphics. And, hmm. and so there's a, an amazing amount of potential here. And, and this, Technology has only just become barely available in browsers. So, Chrome just uh, made this available, uh, you know, a couple months or so ago in its main uh, distribution. Before, when I was building this, it was you know I had to install Chrome Beta, um, and so right now on on regular Chrome on Windows and Mac, um, if you're using Linux, uh, you should use Firefox Nightly Build. Um, the the you know the support and implementation of the full Web GPU is is not 
you know, exactly fully there. This is this is living on the bleeding edge, and this is an enable, enabling a, a, a whole variety of of innovation on on multiple dimensions. Like I said, so you got the graphics like we've done, um, and then you've got you know we're working towards putting some AIs onto Bitcoin as well with our community we're building. So you know we're we're kind of create a movement to, to leverage this technology in, in several different areas. Right. So this is like, um, it's almost like a proof of concept that you can have a GPU on mm. Bitcoin. I mean, I guess is, is sort of what's going on. So once you have a GPU, now you have processing power, which can in aggregate, you know, something like a SETI at home uh, of GPUs networked together and coordinated to create uh, an LLM. So I guess you could, I guess you could have like a people's, uh, I've always felt mm -hmm. that like, well, AI feels to me like a a centralizing force. So in other words, the big companies with the big money because they can afford the GPUs mm -hmm. and they have the corpus of data, the training data, uh, or they can, act, or they have the ability to crawl the entire internet and get that corpus. Um, so unlike crypto, which favors the edges, AI favors the center. It favors Silicon Valley, which is why Silicon Valley loves it again, right? Now they finally get a narrative which fits their strengths. Mm -hmm. And um, however, the more I've, th I've thought about that, the more I've realized that actually, if you combine crypto and AI um, and you make something that's decentralized so that you know, all of our little computers added up are bigger than all the central computers added up, our Ooh. little computers at home just have to be coordinated, right? Um, which that can be done because they're computers, right? Yeah. So, and so and I was once I installed Stable Diffusion locally and and started running my own LLMs on my own computer. It was it was that light bulb as well that went off for me. That was like, wow, this is not just a centralized thing. And especially once you get into playing with fine tunings and so on, um, then it, it's like, wow, this is this is also empowering the edge. This is not centralizing everything. So um, I've been building like mad this year. So actually back in February, March, um, I built a, a, a version of auto GPT um, that was integrated with both a crypto wallet and a web server. And so you could actually use the agent that I, that I hacked um, to, to be able to, you know, say, here's create a web page saying, here's my, you know, I've got a new book. Here is my, uh, address, my crypto address. So send me this and I'll send you a copy of the book. So like a, a decentralized digital publishing machine receiving payment in crypto. Huh. That's pretty cool. If only yeah. I knew someone with a book. Just kidding. Anyway. Wonder so... who, who could that be? <laughs> yeah, no, that is yeah. pretty interesting. So um, how would, so let me, let me ask a question from the audience because mm -hmm. Mr. Got Plenty has got a couple of them here. So mm -hmm. do you, uh, yeah, anarchoic. Do you think that ordinals should be on the original Bitcoin or is it better to put it on one of the forks of Bitcoin? I assume they mean something like Bitcoin cash or something like that. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. Um, I think Bitcoin ordinals are going to be the, the thing they're going to be the thing to have. They're going to be the thing, the thing that collectors will want. This, this will be what the fine artists that's, this is the chain that they will, they will put things on at least for a good amount of time. And yeah. so there will, there will be a, a sep, it will just be totally separate from the value of it placed on other chains, at least for some time. Um, so, so that, that's really where my focus is now is, is there room to experiment with the, using the other chains? Um, definitely. 
um, but they really need to present some kind of different value advantage besides just price, I think, for, for people to, to adopt them in a s significant way. So I th we've got a few ideas related to that that, you know, hopefully we'll get out over the next year. Um, but in terms of like the place to start, I would say Bitcoin is, is the place to start. Uh, you know, obviously we have the, we have the slow blocks on, on Bitcoin, right? So yeah, the BRC20 that, craze like actually brought Bitcoins to its knees earlier this year. Yeah. Right. Which so, that, so I had another, yeah, I had another collection I was going to roll out, um, with a pretty cool minting process and that those, those rates spiked up. And so I just put that on hold for a little bit. And then in the meantime, um, you know, a lot of innovation happened when, when things came down, you know, on chain monkeys, uh, did a lot of innovation with their dimensions, um, uh, collection. And so I got one of those, those, those guys, uh, did a lot of innovation that we've, we've built on top of. Um, and, and so I wanted to do something kind of bigger and more bleeding edge than what they did. And I'd been playing around. I mean, I'm always playing around with the newest stuff. And I looked at web GPU and I was like, okay, we got to do this. <laughs> we got to do web GPU now. Right. So now you, you've created this collection. So just tell us a little bit about the collection <laughs> and you know, what the prices are kind of like to buy one of these. Yeah, the um, the prices are starting at 0 0.0088 uh, Bitcoin, so about around 200, around two hundred fifty dollars. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and there's two hundred ten in the collection, um, and we're we're just getting started on on building out the community because I've been like <laughs> heads down building all the last six months, yeah. um, and so we're getting a, a nice community coming together. Um, and this is actually, I, I built several collections. So one of them was started out sub 10K. So each, each of these inscriptions has a number by the order in which it was put onto Bitcoin. Um, and so part of the value that many collectors look for is, is that number. And so, so I did this first one back in February. And then another one I did in, in um, March was uh, international character sets. So like imagine the characters of Satoshi. In okay. Japanese and hiragana. I, oh. I put the first one of those onto Bitcoin as individual ordinal inscriptions, and I, I put twelve hundred different ordinals back wow. in March. Yeah, okay. yeah, and so it's it's been an evolution over time, and then um, this this is the newest thing, and 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 just doing some some pretty wild stuff in there. So, in the collection, it's it's got aspects of PFP, you know, profile. Um, Pictures. little guy who can be your profile dude and then it's he's also got a generative art pattern on his stomach um and if you press a character g that animates as well and one of the characters presents you with a different camera angle so that you see that going on with a different field of, of view um so there's like 20 or 25 different keys in mm -hmm. this world when you're in it and we also did something innovative, something we call we're ca now calling super recursion. So recursion is kind of a term used in ordinals where you include a past ordinal. So you you pull it in somehow, and it doesn't need to be your own. It can be anything on there, anything um, on the Bitcoin blockchain. So yeah. so the, the 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 library that you use is sort of like li including libraries and coding. Yeah, and so you can in include code, you can include images, you can include include audio, and, and so on. Um, so the hilarious thing is, guess what the first ordinal uh, with it, it recursion was? What? It's actually a Rickroll. Of course it is. Yes. Right? The Isn't that hilarious? Like that. It's yeah. like 12,000 or so. Um, number 12,000 or so is a Rickroll. But anyhow, um, 
so with we use recursion heavily. So each of these individual 210 guys is actually like 667 bytes. It's tiny. And the way it does that is, is through using these other inscriptions that we've made. Um, and so, you know, we across the collection, there's like 230 different inscriptions that it used. So there's multiple audio files that we pull in. Oh, wow. And when we do spatial audio as well. So as you're going around, you, you, you and we, we might be the first to do spatial audio as well. I don't know if others have done it uh, on Bitcoin yeah, besides us, um, but th there's just so many things going on. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. And then, so at the end of the day, uh, we're using recursion and we did something we call, we're calling it super recursion, where you pull in the, the previous inscription data and then you edit it. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so you can imagine putting additional stuff into that world. So how future. would we, so, so, so basically you mentioned doing AIs and metaverses. Yeah. How, let's talk about AIs for a second. Cause I think that's sort mm -hmm. of how, how would you make something like a, um, about how would you make chat GBT on Bitcoin uh, in, in such a way that anyone who, who lends processing power or crawling uh, tasks to it for, to train the neural net um, gets paid and mm -hmm. participate. Like, and does it, is it, do you have an NFT, which basically makes you a member of the, the neural net kind of thing? Like how, how would, how would that work? Do you think? So the first step uh, was to, was to do something with web GPU. So we've, we've kind of checked that box. We got that milestone done. Uh, one of the next pieces will be to use an existing LLM. Okay, so let's okay. find an existing file. And, and so just to clarify, th these things will run on your local GPU. So we're not like doing a distributed GPU farm or anything like that at this moment, at least mm. in the first instance. So the first thing is we got to put this big file onto Bitcoin and we need to have some web GPU code to use it. Um, and so that's what we're moving towards first. Um, now the, the idea of, of doing the training and, and, and all of that, that that's way further along, I would say. Um, and so, um, I would see us putting one of these big files on and, and figuring out the incentive structure for that as a community effort that, that we will be, you know, spearheading. Um, and, and so that's, that's really, you know, what I, I hope to build in terms of a community that that's part of what we would, we would do together because it is going to cost a pile of money just it to will. put one of those yeah. files, just to put mm -hmm. a small LLM onto Bitcoin. And so we need, uh, we need to bring people together to do that and, and hopefully have, you know, some reason, for, some benefit for them to do that as well. Right. Like I would think somehow they get paid for, contributing to the smartness of the AI, right? Mm -hmm. Whether that be through training or providing GPU later mm -hmm. um, or, 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 or during the training process, mm -hmm. sort of like SETI at home, right? Like you, yeah. you know, you do a little, you get little jobs and you do little pieces of it and mm -hmm. you probably have a stream of Bitcoin, which is coming to you, which I don't know where that comes from, but I guess maybe the queries, like mm -hmm. basically because it's an open, it's truly an open AI, not like the mm -hmm. bullshit open AI of Sam Altman but mm -hmm. a truly distributed Bitcoin based open AI. Mm -hmm. um, it probably costs a little money every time you, you give it a query and that little bit of money mm -hmm. in aggregate goes to everybody who helped make the AI. So the, the query um, 
is not necessarily the expensive piece. Uh, the initial big expensive piece is is basically publishing. Um, right. And then, uh, you know, once you publish it, you're just using your local GP to run uh, GPU to run your your uh, inference and your queries. Hmm. Okay. So that is basically costing your your local GPU and whatnot. Got it. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the um, in in aggregate the the space. Mm -hmm. So uh, and unfortunately, I, I had a little couple slides prepared, but I'm on a new computer and the permissions are not quite set up, so I can't show this. So I'll just read it. Um, so Leonidas NFT on Twitter says the most popular Ordinals wallet Xverse app just closed a five million dollar seed round. Institutional capital is starting is beginning to flow into the ecosystem. Probably nothing. So tell us a little bit what's happening, Adrian. What's the significance of that announcement? I think this is huge. This is kind of the first ordinals-related financing um, that, that's been noticeable and notable. Um, you know, we, we are seeing significant you know, uh, volume in the, in the trading of ordinals, but in terms of actually building up um, you know, one of the ordinals-related companies, you know, there were rumors of, of the Unisat financing and, and whatnot, but we have not heard any more details on that. Um, and so this is really the first uh, announcement. Um, and and that's that's good. Um, they Xverse has, has, has done a really nice job with their wallet and iterating, especially on the mobile side. Um, and, and so I hope I hope they can, you know, fill in some of the details they're working on. Um, and, and there's a lot of room to grow here. Uh, again, uh, you know, I think I think the end of the day, this is this is the chain that where the fine art and the the really significant stuff is is going to go to and lead towards. So, so that's that's uh, really encouraging. Hmm. Yeah, because we did talk about uh, on a previous show, I think it was last week actually. Mm -hmm. um, Unisat was rumored to be raising fifty million dollars, so they're they're clearly out, uh, you know, uh, talking to people. And and Binance was one of the. Mm -hmm. yeah, one of the companies that was rumored to be potentially investing. Yeah. So Corvallis, what are you, what are you thinking over there about all this stuff? Buddy? I'm just trying to absorb all this because uh, it's, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around the, the AI being put on there. Um, also, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Mr. Got Plenty's question here. Like uh, what exactly, how are we going to make money off of this? <laughs> off of, is, is it just fine art trading? Uh, it, like the collections values are, are greater because they're on Bitcoin. Is that kind of like the thesis? There's a lot of room to to develop. So one thing I have not seen anybody doing yet, for example, is is connecting a mini script with ordinal inscriptions. So, you know, there's a certain amount of programming you can do on top of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, so one thing I would like to do is, for example, let's say, you know, if you're selling something, imagine, you know, somebody says they're going to be a collector and they're going to keep it for a while. Well, how about you give them a better price if if that's really going to be the case? And how about if they commit to that by receiving a time-locked ordinal inscription mm. so they cannot sell it for a year? Okay, okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, also, Corvallis, I think the block space on Bitcoin is precious and expensive. So if you had, so you, for whatever you're going to inscribe, it better be, you know, you're only going to do something you're serious about, right? You're going to put mm -hmm. the Rembrandts on. You're going to put the, you know, the, the, the Da Vinci's on. You're not going to put on, you know, the, the the little crappy paint by numbers thing that Corvallis did at home when he was five, right? So, uh, no offense, I'm sure you're a great painter. Oh no, but I actually did one of those. <laughs> I put it on Shimmer, actually. 
Yeah. So awesome. there, <laughs> there you go. So, um, but you know, to put it on Bitcoin, like it costs a lot of money, uh, mm -hmm. and increasingly so as more people do this. So I, I think I, I think uh, Anarchoic is correct that the only the big art, only the the sort of very high end Warholish sort of art uh, will be on Bitcoin. And remember, the rich people are on Bitcoin. The Bitcoin people are a lot richer than everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think that you know those collectors, the you know sort of the Sotheby's set, uh, they're Bitcoin people, right? So I think that I think there's a cultural kind of difference, rightly or wrongly. I think it does exist. Mm -hmm. I know that I know that when um, Fred Krueger and I speak, Fred speaks to a lot of sort of sovereign wealth and sort of hyper wealthy individuals. And his sort of report back to me is that when he speaks to them, they're interested in crypto, but they're only interested in Bitcoin. They don't, they look at the rest of it as just sort of, you know, the ratty garbage, but Bitcoin they view as, you know, money like gold. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there really is a gulf between Bitcoin and kind of everything else in their minds in the minds of the hyper wealthy, the sovereign wealth funds, the family offices. So, and, and in addition, in addition to the the art side of things and the the collectible artifacts, um, mm -hmm. there there's a certain amount of degen activity as well, right? So, <laughs> as right. I think you you've been doing more of Mark uh, with the BRC twenties. These mm -hmm. these kind of tokens that are almost not tokens. They're it's like the most minimal token you could consider to be a token, um, and and you're building these uh, additional kind of indexers that are kind of secondary to Bitcoin to kind of say. Is, is this a real one or not? Well, you, you can't really tell unless you process all of the, the history and, and make sure nobody, you know, it was, it was created at the right time and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so there's, I think there's still going to be innovation on, on that whole side of things. Um, I think, you know, like, like we're talking about with the AI, um, putting an LLM, there's room for community kind of, uh, activities and, and, and kind of, motivations and incentive uh, structures to, to develop. Um, so I, I think we're still going to see some of that. Um, how is somebody going to make money? Well, you can create an, uh, a collection, you can sell it, mm -hmm. you can buy and then sell, buy low and sell high, buy high and sell higher. Um, you can create a, you know, a BRC 20, you can organize a, a community and, and do something through that. And you can work on, uh, doing a marketplace. So I think there's a, a bunch of different areas where, where people can, can create some value. So kind of what I'm getting here is, I mean, a lot of the same things you can do on Ethereum, but just more premium, uh, cause it's on Bitcoin is, is generally the idea. And it is actually on chain, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and then also the the um, the security profile is very different oh, with yeah, the account model of Ethereum versus Bitcoin with the coin model, the mm -hmm. UTXOs. So, um, you know, there there's no smart contract governing your NFT on Bitcoin, your ordinal on Bitcoin. So nobody, they're they're not going to find a hole in it. <laughs> You know, so so right. that's I think that's a huge advantage. Uh, so security on chain and and decentralized. You know, it's on thousands of computers, um, you know, more than than Ethereum as well. And it's backed by the beefiest supercomputer on earth, the Bitcoin yeah. network. The so you've got that that proof of work. I, I feel like the proof of work is extremely significant, right? There is no yeah. way to bust through that. Whereas, you know, there, there are ways I and mean, it hasn't really happened on Ethereum, but it could happen. It's, it's definitely a lot more possible on Ethereum. Yeah, especially since, since the shift to, to proof of stake. Yes. It's definitely, it's definitely a, a 
more, there's a, a wider risk surface there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, that's a good way to put it, wider yeah. risk surface. All right, so let's move along to some news. Uh, so that's all super interesting, anarchoic. Thank you so much for walking us through all that. So uh, the big news this week, PayPal launches a stable coin. So it looks like it's sort of a tether USDC kind of construction, uh, backed one for one, one by you know, one for one by fiat in a fiat bank. Uh, downside of that is we can't see it. There's no proof of reserves. We have to take PayPal's word, just like we have to take Tether's word that there's actually money in a bank somewhere. Uh, but I think the thing that really sort of you know caught everyone's eye was uh, they have freeze and burn functions uh, on the new PayPal stablecoin. Um, Anarchoic, what do you think about that? And within the context of doesn't Tether and USDC have the same thing basically, or is this a, or is this an escalation? This is definitely a different level. And then, you know, we, we just look at the history and the reputation of PayPal. We know, you know, everybody knows somebody whose account has gotten frozen on PayPal. Yeah. So it just, it, it would just, you know, maybe some institutions find something in there. Um, I, I'm pretty sure this is in partnership with Paxos who've, who've done stable yes. coins with other folks. Um, yeah. And, and so they are kind of, I would say they have a better reputation than PayPal in, in that area, but it's, it's still, it's, it's PayPal at the end of the day. And so um, I'm not sure who, who the target market is for this because um, it's, it's just, uh, we know what the future, we know what the future history is going to be on, on this token. Mm -hmm. There's like zero doubt. <laughs> Corvallis, what do you think? What, what you've been covering this this week? What, what's going on there? Yeah. So I think part of the market for it is, is because it's bank, with Paxos or they're in partnership with Paxos and because it's PayPal, there's a lot less like regulatory concern. Uh, Paxos was recently told that they can't mint uh, BUSD. I think that was earlier this year. Yes. So they've already had the big watchful eye of, of, you know, the federal government on them. And if they pass the sniff test now with PayPal, then we're probably good to go. And partly part of that is that they have the ability to freeze stuff. The government probably likes that because it makes them feel secure about anti-money laundering and stuff. So I would say, you know, if you're a real crypto head, you're a real cypherpunk, you don't want it. You don't care about it. But for the average person, especially because it's PayPal, it's already kind of integrated. PayPal's integrated in all kinds of retail. It, it kind of is like a no-brainer for like the average Joe, right? who maybe doesn't even really want to get into crypto. He just kind of wants to use it to send cash around with low fees. Cause you can transfer the, the PayPal USD without any fees between other PayPal users. I don't know. I'm kind of bullish on, it. I kind of like it. I kind of uh, like it too. Weirdly. Yeah. I'm probably yeah. not going to use it, but it's nice that it's out there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Like the, um, the, well, let's talk about the mint and burn, the mint and or, sorry, the burn and freeze for a second. Mm -hmm. So, can, isn't it true that if you, on the Tether network, even on Tether, they also have uh, burn and freeze as well? I think, mm -hmm. right? Or am I, I wrong? I've heard a lot of things about Tether, but I've never heard that. I think I think there are some cases where they can do stuff like that. Um, the The good thing is is they're in a less regulated environment, so you're. I think you're risk profile is lower with them than you know than it's going to be with paypal and also we got the history of you know how their actions being over the history of that right so because they're tether so tether is is less inclined so they probably have the ability technically to also freeze mm -hmm. and burn um but they're less likely to use it because they're tether 
and they're like in BVI or something, whereas PayPal is here in the mm-hmm. United States. And, you know, the, the throat that, that they can choke is is just down the street. And so yeah. probably it's going to get choked a lot more. That's probably fair. But then again, mm-hmm. it's PayPal. And, you know, Tether is still esoterica for us crypto heads largely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas PayPal is PayPal. They're available to, you know, mere mortals, normal people in the normal world, as I say, right? So, um, or, or could could the feds be trying to take out a uh, coinbase through through paypal i don't <laughs> know thing. it's it's really it, it is a it is sort of misfiring right because why would so i interpret this move as paypal they they see that stable coins are coming like it's it's the only interpretation right that mm-hmm. it's basically like they why would paypal already can move dollars around right so why would you make crypto dollars which are basically the same thing that you already have just on different rails, like outside the banking system. And and if I'm the banking system, I'm like, oh shit, PayPal is like making stuff to go around us. PayPal knows that they're gonna piss off the banking system, uh, but they're doing it anyway. So they must view it as inevitable, much, much like I think BlackRock views um, Bitcoin as inevitable. And that's why they're moving so hard to get an ETF approved, right? So I, I think that they're basically like, there's no choice. We have to, we have to be here to play. So is that your interpretation as well, Anarchoic? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, it's, it seems like there, there's a lot of balls in the air that are, that are being juggled. And, and so this kind of gives a few players kind of leverage to, to put pressure on other players. Hmm. That makes so a lot other, of sense. Yeah. So the other thing I noticed, and this is kind of, this is very interesting, perhaps, perhaps some alpha, perhaps no, or perhaps a stupid idea I've had, but we'll see. Um, so, so remember uh, a couple shows ago, um, I mentioned that um, the Citadel, the new Citadel backed commodities crypto exchange um, that just launched, I forget the name, it was like EDN or something like that. Um, uh, they, they only allow four coins, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin. And the reason why it's those coins and those coins only is because those four coins have, have regu- regulatory certainty or is at least as close as you get in this in this Gary Gensler murky mm-hmm. kind of environment. Right. So uh, but but you, you're relatively safe with those four versus everything else. Right. So PayPal also allows only those four. Right. So even though Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash are dead rock kind of coins that don't do anything. Um, regulatory certainty may be a superpower. And the fact that they too are, you know, they're the same coins that the Citadel backed exchange allows. Now this is the second time I've seen that quaternity pop up and it may, it may be the wave of the future. So Bitcoin cash and Litecoin might be horrendously undervalued. Like Bitcoin probably is horrendously undervalued right now. Uh, which I, I kind of thought Bitcoin Cash was a failed fork, and you know who cares about it? It's a dead rock coin from 2014, you know, or whenever it's 2016. Um, so whatever, nobody's ever going to care about it again. But it, it may have value that nobody saw coming, at least during the interim where regulatory uncertainty reigns. Um, so Corvallis, what do you what do you think of that theory? Am I not sir? Is there something there? No, yeah, I think it's like classic regulatory capture. I do think um, there is something to the idea that it's kind of like, you know, it's hard to say whether it's just, you know, it is a growing market share, like stable coins. Stable coins are probably like the easiest, simplest thing to implement for like a traditional 
like business bank, right? The the regulatory certainty around is become much more clear, like how it works. I think the Federal Reserve released some guidelines for banks that are servicing them, which is like the first thing they've ever done to try to ease people's fears, like give them rules. So it's it's definitely I would say great. <laughs> I'd say it's a great thing. But um yeah, I mean obviously that was my main point originally was that like the fact that PayPal is already like tied like it's had brush in like brush ups with the government previously specifically about freezing accounts interestingly enough i think they were sued because they were freezing accounts and not providing accurate reason but that they're trigger happy the fed probably does like uh so that's my two cents on it yeah the fed loves loves the fact that they're freezing accounts so mm -hmm. yeah so I, your your money's your your dollars i mean if you're doing if, you, if you're getting it's you're yeah you're not going to be able to operate like you are in tether world on in mm -hmm. paypal world but i think everybody kind of knows that so you know most people most people aren't going to get frozen so i think it's mostly fine um i, I you know what i'm more concerned about is whether pay, whether it becomes more like a cbdc where they start tying your you know your your social credit score to it mm -hmm. to it right and you know they get a lot more aggressive with the mint and burn or so the uh, the burn the burn and freeze functions based on, you know, whether you're saying the wrong things on Twitter. Right. So yeah, I say but, something about, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, like, but you don't have to use it. Like I think the fear of a CBDC is like, you have to use it, you know, like if everyone's right. saying you have to use the C, you got to pay your rent in the CBDC. I don't think right. they're going to be like, you have to pay rent in the, in Pi USD. <laughs> We're right. taking taxes on Pi USD. So unless you want to get, you know, your door kicked in by the IRS, you got to use Pi USD. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that. Maybe it's a trial run. Maybe I mean I, I don't think, I think it's very likely that the governments around the world are watching how these stable coins are implemented and how people react to them and how much market share they can pick up with increased security and more obvious like mint and burn functions, right? Um, yeah, I would think. I mean, there was a there was a tweet I saw this morning that uh, apparently. Uh, there was a, the, 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 the feds, the banking, you know, the banking commissioners mm -hmm. issued a warning to all banks to, uh, not, not work with PayPal. And I don't know the mm -hmm. details of this, but I just saw that announcement this morning. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that too. <laughs> and, so, I, I wasn't sure if that was real or FUD. I took a I quick look. It was, yeah. it seemed possibly FUDish, but, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, because it feels like a bold move on PayPal's part, right? Like, I got to commend them a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So, all right, let's yeah. move on to our last topic of the day. Uh, I lovingly entitled it DeFi Sucks. <laughs> so, uh, so this is from the Inside Crypto Newsletter. Um, what the numbers say, data compiled by the Web3 portfolio app DeFi shows that the crypto market experienced $389 million of funds lost in the attacks targeting decentralized finance platforms in July. The figure, which is $73 million higher than the previous peak in March, made July the month with the largest losses in 2023. The amount has also taken the total losses since the beginning of the year to $964 million. So, dude, what the F, right? So... And the brands that should take care. So the top five attacks in July 2023 uh, include Multichain, the Viper Compiler, the Bald Token, Alpha Po, which I don't know anything about, and Poly Network. 
So these mm-hmm. these attacks are kind of for more than 85% of the total amount last month. So, dude, what, this world of DeFi that we live in, I really love it. There's a lot of really great things about it, um, but it's still not safe. And if your money's in a smart contract, like the, the, the curve hack, uh, you know, targeting the Viper compiler, that was shocking, right? Because that wasn't a rug mm-hmm. pull. That wasn't. That wasn't something shoddily constructed, you know. It was something we all kind of trusted, both Curve and Viper, and and yet we're in this. We're still living in this world where to participate in DeFi, you know, you could just lose your money at any time. Is mm-hmm. this? Are we going to forever be in this world, or is there? Are we going to finally get solid? You know, will AIs build the smart contracts which are impenetrable, or you know, we're going to finally get to a, a world where these things don't happen so often? Anna Cook, what do you think? So I think um, AI in particular is going to be helpful more on um, kind of the pen testing, the penetration testing side yep. of things. So it's it's AI is not great for edge edge cases, right? Because it's it's a, a super oh. super super autocomplete. <laughs> so right. you know that's why you you know you miss you the you miss the person holding the balloon or whatever in in when you're driving, and your AI is driving you around or whatever it is some some edge case. And so for, for defense, you know, it's, it's not really going to save you from the edge case. It will help you, you know, test things out and discover stuff, but it's, it's not going to be your primary defense. Um, now, in terms of security and whatnot, the, the model of Ethereum is, is the account model where you've got the smart contract. And that's where a lot of these problems are happening. Uh, in the case of Viper, you know, I've, I've contributed a tiny bit to, to one of their tutorials. Um, you know, Viper is is actually a, you know a, a pretty amazing language and whatnot. It it just clearly has been underinvested in, in terms of of uh, being fully tested out and and you know whatever bounty programs you know are are not in place that need to be in place and and so on. So it's it's a very core technology, uh, and I think um, just because Solidity is is being used more, there's there's been more people trying to break through Solidity compilers than there have been for for Viper. So I'm I'm hoping, you know, that that the folks who are using Viper, which which I again I think is an amazing great language, I hope they will contribute more to to that infrastructure layer of, of the security there. Um, now, when we look at ordinals and 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 so on, we we've, we've again got this coin model, this this UTXO, which is you know each co- each coin kind of has its own contract in it. Um, versus the account model where you're, you're in this account where, you know, who knows uh, who has admin power <laughs> on the contract and, right. and, you know, is it two people who can get picked up by, you know, some secret police in whatever country, um, and, and co- be coerced. Um, so, so I think, you know, if, if, as we see things develop in the direction of more of this coin model, this coin set model, UTXO and, and other chains, I think we're going to see uh, something that, that is more secure and, and that will start offering uh, an adoption. Yeah. Kavalis, what are your thoughts on this? So I think uh, I like DeFi too, but I, I think there's kind of like this uh, like pipe dream a lot of people have about like true decentralization with this kind of thing. Um, in that, you know, centralization does provide some bit of security because you have, you know, people you can point to, like, this guy is responsible for this, right? Um, and when it, so that would help essentially with like the bald rug, right? Like, bald was just a classic rug, right? Yeah. Um, 
as for like the Viper thing, I agree with Andrew Cook. It seems like it's a not niche language, but it's not as nearly as widely used as Solidity. I hear it's got a lot of like really good features to it. Um, and from when I interviewed a, a Viper specialist earlier, he was telling me that this was a bug that had been already fixed, but this was like an older version of Viper they were using. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. So Curve didn't update their Viper? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there, there's some risks like that. I think, so I don't know, you guys were around for the dot-com time. I doubt, I, I don't know how many hacks there were going on back then, but this is a problem because in DeFi, because there's such a big fat reward right yeah for for being a malicious actor so if you're technologically inclined uh why aren't you just perusing code just to find a way to manipulate it to get to get free money um so i think over time it'll improve um but i don't know if it'll ever be perfect uh, at least with the current models of of building that people are using of, of organization even yeah, I don't. I mean, there, there was no, nobody was, you know, the dot com days were like uh, very boring. There were no, we were trying to get people to listen to us, you mm -hmm. know, and convincing people the web was a thing was a thing, mm -hmm. right? That was really, that was a, so we didn't really, we had different worries back then. So, yeah. uh, although some of us had like more adoption in terms of users than, yeah. than we do in some crypto projects now. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that is true. Actually, weirdly, that is, that is absolutely weirdly true. enough, but much less market cap, much, much less money flying around back then. Yeah. There's one more thing I want to point out too is that I think this is kind of like a wider internet phenomenon as well. Like, there has been a massive amount of identity leaks over the last like what decade or so uh so i think it's almost like indicative of just the more of our lives we put online the more reason you have to get hacked by you know north korea or whatever <laughs> so yeah and i agree and and um the other thing is i i don't think the the rest of it kind of thanks crypto enough for securing stuff right because oh, interesting because crypto offers such a you know a honeypot there that it it improves security for the, all of the layers mm -hmm. and for everybody who's not using crypto they're benefiting from that so there's there's a, a positive economics interesting uh, i never heard it considered that that's kind of awesome yeah it's pretty interesting hmm so ai is not going to save us uh you we, and rug pulls will still happen so that's obviously mm -hmm. i think you're right i think the, the ball thing that should be removed because it's not really a hack it's just a rug pull mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not hack. good but it's <laughs> not it's not a hack interesting about multi-chain is that wasn't a hack either that was just poor setup by multi-chain right they, they had a bad setup for their multi-sig so if one guy was He's in a high-risk country for being seized for almost any reason. Uh, not the best idea to have him be the only guy or the one guy that could just move funds. Uh, right, but there's no way we could know that, right? So I, I think it's still a mm -hmm. DeFi problem. I mean, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. It's not a hack. Uh, it's, it's poor um, multi-sig management. But did we know... Like, do we know who has the multi-sig? And there's no way for us to know, right? So mm -hmm. that is like, that's like a bank. Like, we don't know how much money is, like a fiat bank. We have no much, mm -hmm. we, we don't know the proof of reserves. It's like, it's another tether situation, right? So if you have anything that's got like a middle, you know, human, uh, like like a bridge or a multi-sig, it's yeah. at risk. Isn't, the class, isn't it the classic thing for any kind of 
technical like programming security is that the human is always the weakest link like the human yeah. is the link is weak yeah no absolutely well i think i mean look i think um chainlink just released this new style of bridging um and communication between chains uh which there is no multi-sig there is no thing in the middle um it's purely it's like it's like two smart it's like one smart contract that spans two two chains that's sort of the construction of it. So there, there literally is no way if anybody gets seized. Doesn't matter. The two, two smart contracts uh, can still communicate with one another. And if multi-chain had been implemented using that style of technology, uh, theoretically, then we would not be in the position we're in today. Yeah. So, and in fact, I know, I know that uh, you know the Libre guys are are implementing a similar, uh, completely trustless you know, smart contract only based bridge between Bitcoin and their chain. And you might be asking, well, how are they doing that on Bitcoin? So apparently they're using script. There is a scripting language in Bitcoin, right? The C-S-C-R-Y-P-T language. So somehow they're doing it with that. I don't, I don't know the details of it, but that's, that's what I've been told. Yeah, Bitcoin also has um, atomic swaps, which can be really useful for, for some cross-chain hmm. communications as well. Um, and then Miniscript um, is kind of a subset of the overall Bitcoin script, but it does everything that the Bitcoin script does and is kind of a little easier to use. So I've been playing around with that a bit too. It's, it's got a lot of potential. Well, super cool. Yeah. Well, so we're up at the, the, uh, the hour mark now. So that's all the time we have left. Corvallis, once again, thank you for, for coming along for the ride. Always very appreciated. And Anarchoic, a historic figure, inventor of the social network. Uh, and is now once again on the bleeding edge doing Bitcoin ordinals. If you're always on the edge, man, I love that. That's fantastic. Thank you. So, Wonderful to be here. Thank you. My name is Mark Jeffrey. This has been Across the Chains. We'll see you next time.